if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew 7 as we uh, continue in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard the text that we'll be looking at. And just to, to help sort of locate this text, okay? It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. And, and it goes on to say that you know, we have a good heavenly Father who will give good things to those who ask him. You need to understand, if you're going to understand this correctly, you have to look at what comes before it and what comes after it. You see, last week we looked at judge not that you, you be not judged. And we talked about how we all have a propensity to evaluate other people externally or by our own experience or judge people's motives. We're great at that. And that's what comes before this text, this text about asking, seeking, and knocking. And then at the end, after the text that, that, that we just read, verse 12 said, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Again, another, I think, application of, if, if, you, if you don't want to walk into a room and have everybody judging you for how you look or judging you based on experience or judging your motives, if you wouldn't really like that to happen, maybe you ought to act that way to others. And so the text of ask, seek, and knock is in the middle of this section of judge not and the golden rule, uh, do unto others uh, that, you know, as, you, as you would like to be done yourself. Now it's interesting about last week, I heard from a number of you uh, about this judge not. It's interesting, I had a lot of emails where people confessed their sin to me. Right, and I had to explain to them, I, I cannot forgive your sin. It's good, but right now I did have one family deeply concerned because I mentioned in the sermon last week that I judged other people's cars because my family drove the worst cars on the planet. I judged anyone who had a nice car as probably rich and unspiritual. And the person wrote me a letter and said, we've been very concerned about what you might think about our cars. They wrote me. And we were worried that you're judging us for our cars. And I said, well, what's the model and make of your car? And they gave me the model and make of their car. And yes, yes, they should be judged. What this text is saying and driving to us, and we want to look at this sort of main principle and flesh it out in verses 7 through 11. I also want to have a little addendum at the end when we talk about the narrow and, 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 and wide way. We'll sort of, sort of conclude the sermon. But what's very clear about verses 7 through 11 is they are connected to judging not and the golden rule that frames this text. And so what is Jesus driving at in verses 7 through 11? Well, I'll, let's, I'll summarize it and then I'm going to flesh it out. What I think Jesus is telling us is that persistent intentional prayer is essential to living out the kingdom of Christ, particularly with the judge not and golden rule, although I think it applies to the whole sermon. 
Let me flesh that out. Persistent, intentional prayer is essential to living out the kingdom of Christ. Notice verse 7. It says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. All three of these words are referring to uh, trying to get someone's attention. You ask, right? You seek. You, you knock. It, it has, a, a, I think, the way these words are. I, I don't think there's any like specific differences in the words. I mean, we know what ask is. We know what, uh, you know, seek is. We know what knock is. But I think Jesus mentions these three words to give us an intensifying picture of what it means to ask God to help us live out his kingdom, live out his kingdom life. And so he says, ask seek, knock. He's he's referring to a persistent, intentional, uh, sort of significant focus in our lives, pursuing God, asking God to help us in this kingdom work. And the amazing thing is in verse 8, he says, for everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's strong promises by Jesus to say, if you seek God in intentional, persistent prayer about trying to live out his kingdom, he will answer you. He will respond to you. And then he reminds us of why we can be confident when we ask God for these things. He says, which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone or If he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It's interesting. He talks about that, generally speaking, even evil fathers, and that would be all fathers, all right? It's a great Father's Day message. You evil fathers. He's saying that even sinful fathers, and we all who are fathers are sinful, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will, will our Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? He's reminding us that we have a good God, a good Heavenly Father. And even if your family of origin was, was significantly dysfunctional or, or even abusive, right? That's not how God the Father is. He's a good Father. He gives good gifts. Cares for us. And he helps us. And he delights for those who ask, seek, and knock to give us what we ask in terms of when we're asking for things related to his kingdom priorities. Now, I'm going to flesh this out a little bit because I think this text breaks down in our lives in a couple of different ways. The the first way this text breaks down is that we don't ask much, right? James in James 4 says, we have not because we ask not. One of the the reasons we don't receive as, as many good gifts from our Heavenly Father is we simply don't ask. And I, I think we probably all identify with sort of the reality that when all else fails, then we start to pray. Rather than having this persistent, intentional prayer life, which is seeking, asking, knocking, asking God, the heaven, our good Heavenly Father, to do 
and to work and to act in our lives. So we don't ask. But the other issue is we often ask wrongly. That's what also James 4 says. You have not because you ask not, but you also don't have because you ask wrongly. In other words, part of our prayer request and our expectations of what God, our good Father, will give us is it's not based on this text per se. We simply view God as someone who is going to do whatever we ask him to do. Whether those requests are, are really tied to his kingdom or not. Oh, those of you who have kids, you know this is true. How many times did your kid ask you for something that was crazy? Outrageous. I had a child who is from one of my smartest. It was, it was, he had a scientific brain. He lost his balloon. He got really upset because the balloon went up. He had seen lots of balloons go up. He was really mad and he told me, why can't you, Dad, get an airplane, fly up there and get the balloon and bring it back to me? I was flattered that he thought I had that much power and disturbed at his expectations. And one of our problems with dealing with God is we often try to take a verse, these verses like this and try to sort of expect that if I ask anything that's not sinful, if I ask anything of God, he's going to give it to me. I don't think that's what the text is saying, but that's how we interpret it. We think that God must do everything that we ask him, and if he doesn't do that, then we start to charge God. We say, you know what, I ask for a fish, and then God's given me a snake. We start to charge God with evil, or start to believe he doesn't care, which is clearly opposed to who God is and how he's described in this text. But we begin to view God as sort of a celestial, uh, you know, Santa Claus to give us every little thing that we ask for. I think we need to turn to a parallel passage here to give us a little more specificity on what Jesus is driving at. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke 11 is a summary, is Luke's summary of the Sermon on the Mount. And in verse 9, as he's been summarizing the, the sort of the teaching on the, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew's is more expansive. Luke 11 starts off with the, 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 the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. In verse 9, he says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Well, father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Matthew's sort of uh, summary of the Sermon on the Mount talks about God will give us all good things. Luke specifies that what, well, one of the things Jesus was saying was that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So if you go back to uh, Matthew 7 here, I think it's safe to say that when Jesus is telling us to ask and to, 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 to seek and to knock, in the context of trying to be people who aren't judging one another and people who are following the golden rule. What I think is clear here is, is Jesus is saying to us, if we ask, seek, and knock, asking God to send us the Holy Spirit to activate in us the power to do this Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, etc., and then verse 12, 
That is the kind of request that gets God's attention. That is the kind of request that God delights to give us. In other words, this ask, seek, and knock is not a carte blanche to ask God to give you whatever you want. It's to focus your attention on saying, in order to follow the kingdom priorities, and I would say by extension, Matthew 7, 7 through 11, would apply to all the Sermon on the Mount, in light of the fact that we can't live by ourselves and by our own strength, the Sermon on the Mount, we must be seeking, asking, knocking, asking God to energize us by the Holy Spirit to accomplish his kingdom priorities. Because apart from that, none of us can live out the Sermon on the Mount. It's impossible. I mean, I don't know. How many of you tried to judge people a little less this week? And how did that go? Unless the Spirit of God you ask, seek, and knock, persistently praying that the Spirit of God helps you, almost no progress can be made in simply judge not. It's impossible. We do it all the time. And of course, when you look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, right, how in the world are you going to forgive someone who deeply hurt you unless the Spirit of God helps you to do that? In your own strength, you can't do that. And even if you do that today and, and forgive someone today, tomorrow afternoon, the, the thought of what that person did to you is going to come back and you're going to have to do it all over again. Apart from the Spirit asking, seeking, and knocking, asking the Spirit to, to deal with that, how can you forgive someone who's heinously hurt you in a deep way? How are you going to love your enemies? Are you going to just try harder? I'm going to try harder to love my enemies? You're going to need the Spirit of God. How are you going to stop worrying? Oh, that's a good one. Stop worrying. Don't be anxious. Pastor Andrew preached on that a couple weeks ago. How are you going to do that? All right? I, I feel like I, I know the passage. I, I, I've heard that passage. And, and, and again, my daughter's expecting to deliver a child any moment now. Every time my text goes off, I'm, I'm just like, you know, run into the car, you know only to find out that nothing's happening. I'm anxious. You're anxious. How are you going to deal with purity in your life apart from the Holy Spirit working in you to give you the kind of purity he expects in his kingdom? How are you going to be salt and light consistently in a world that, that is going 180 miles an hour a different direction unless the Spirit of God enables you to be salt and light in a dark world? How are you going to learn to be poor in spirit? To recognize that you are powerless and have no ability to get to God on your own where everything in our culture, particularly our mid-Jersey, Princeton culture, is telling you it's all about your performance. Perform. And then we're supposed to turn around and say, I can't perform to get to you, God. What I think Jesus is saying here is that persistent... Intentional prayer is crucial to living out the kingdom of Christ because apart from the Spirit's work in our life, it cannot happen. And so he says, ask, seek, knock. And when we pray for God by his Spirit to help us live out his kingdom, that is a prayer that God delights to answer. That is a, 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 that is a, a prayer request that God will answer and give you strength. 
and help you to grow. And one of the things a text like this <coughs> is difficult because it's so, the promise is so vast, right? He will give you good things to those who ask him. And again, I think it's focused on the kingdom. I think it's focused on the Holy Spirit as the Luke passage showed us. But I think we all have to deal with the fact that we sometimes pray prayers and, and they seem to be reasonably connected to the kingdom. We're praying about good things, things that, would, that we think God would delight in. And what happens when those prayers don't, are not answered? I'm just going to sort of push you in two directions here. None of them answer all those questions specifically necessarily, but one thing about unanswered prayer, and I had to live long enough to see this, is that if you live long enough in, the, in, in your walk with Christ, sometimes you can look back on very good prayers that you pray, prayers that were consistent with the kingdom in some sense, and God didn't answer them uh, in, 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 in any meaningful way, it didn't seem like. And sometimes you can look back on that and you can thank God for those unanswered prayers because you now see God had a different way of going about it and you can live with that a little easier. That's one way to deal with it. I know there's probably four of you in this room and maybe three of you online that listen to country music and you're probably embarrassed to admit that in a congregation like ours. Uh, sorry about that prejudice, but uh, it's a great song by Garth Brooks. Um, uh, where I get all my information outside the Bible. No, I don't. I'm not, I'm not that big of a Garth Brooks fan. But it's a great song on, on I thank God for unanswered prayer. Sort of looking back at his life. And there were some things that he really wanted. And there were things he really prayed for. He asked. He knocked. He sought. And God didn't give it to him. And he wasn't praying for bad things. But now he looks back on his life and says, you know what? God knew better. For some of us, that's where we have to sort of learn to understand that even prayers that are, you know, reasonably connected to things that it seems like God would want to do. God has a different timing. God has his own plan, and we have to learn to accept that. But I know that's difficult. I know that for some of you, you've got a child, you know, who's grown up and who's walked away from the faith, and that, that is what you pray about a lot, and you're praying something that would be consistent with what God would want, to bring the prodigal son or daughter home. And some of you have prayed for family members who, who, who don't know the Lord, and you've been praying for years, and, and, and nothing seems to be happening, and others of you have prayed for different sicknesses and illnesses that affected friends and family, and you didn't see God answer. When that happens, I think you know, sometimes we see the wisdom of the unanswered prayers that we uttered, but sometimes we have to throw those unanswered prayers into the mystery of God. Sometimes it's not clear why God didn't intervene. Sometimes it's always not clear why God didn't do what seemed to you, a, a, you know, something that would have, would, have, would have been according to the Father's will. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do you do then? I had a friend of mine who, whose father was in ministry. His father had been in ministry for 40 years and retired. And in uh, my friend's father's life, uh, his father struggled with deep depression after ministry, after 40 years of faithful ministry and really struggled with depression. 
serious depression. The family prayed and they prayed and asked God to help him and remind him of the promises of God that he, that he articulated so, so well for 40 years and now was struggling to hold on to them. And I remember my friend calling me to, to say that his dad had taken his life. And my friend, you know, I just didn't know what to do. We prayed. We asked God. We, we don't know what happened here. And when the family got together in that first moments of holding on to each other and grieving together, they played this song by Casting Crowns that goes like this. So kind of a prayer to God. I was sure by now, God, that you would have reached down and wiped our tears away. You would have stepped in and saved the day. But once again, we say amen. And it's still raining. In other words, we, we prayed and prayed for God to give peace of mind to our relative, but now he's taken his life. And how do we deal with that? We prayed, and it's still raining. We prayed that you would come, but, but, but it's ended it like this. As the song goes on, it sort of defiantly says, but I'm going to praise you in this storm. I'm going to lift my hands, for you are who you are no matter where I am. And every tear I've cried, you hold in your hand. You've never left my side. And though my heart is torn, I will praise you in this storm. Sometimes we have to be able to say that there is a mystery of why God doesn't do things that we think are so clearly what he ought to do. And the reality is if we have a God, if you have a God in your own mind that doesn't confuse you, that doesn't confound you in some way. If you have a God who, who, who always does what you ask him to do, he always you know, fulfills your desires and dreams even if you know, they're fairly sanctified. If you've got a God like that who can't confuse you or confound you or, or there's not some mystery or there's not something about him that you don't understand, you are probably praying to someone who's not God. If God is who he is, he will confound you, confuse you, mystify you. So that's how we deal, in part, with unanswered prayer. But back to the text. I think the question I've been asking myself this week, and I ask you, is, is a fair amount of your prayer life intentional and persistent in praying for the Holy Spirit in particular to help you fulfill these kingdom principles, these kingdom priorities that Jesus lays out in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Is that, is that a lot of your prayer life? I mean, that, that, that's how Jesus taught us to pray, right? The whole first part of the Lord's Prayer, the first three requests are what? Our Father, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's all about his agenda, orienting ourselves around his agenda. Yes, we pray for daily bread. Yes, we pray for spiritual protection. Yes, we pray that we would be able to forgive others. But is a significant amount of our persistent intentional prayer centered on God's priorities and centered on us asking God by the Holy Spirit to help us do this Sermon on the Mount, which is impossible to do apart from him? How much of our prayer life is related to his agenda and what he wants to do in our lives and in the lives of those around us? 
think what Jesus is trying to say to us, ask, seek, knock. Be intentional, be persistent, be passionate in praying to your heavenly Father who wants to give you these good gifts. And that great, one of the greatest gifts is actually the Holy Spirit to help you do and live the way he outlines that's impossible to do apart from his work in us. I think that's the main thrust of uh, this Matthew 7, 7 to 11. But I want to close with a very interesting um, ver two verses at the end of, of this section. And I'm actually collapsing this a little bit because of COVID. We had, I think, in God's providence, pa Pastor Jim spoke on, on January 2nd on the filling of the Holy Spirit from Ephesians 5. I want you to take a look as we close to verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find and those who find it are few. It's an interesting little text, right? And in fact, Jesus, as he summarizes um, at the, the end of his Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about the two ways, the narrow and the broad way. He's going to talk about uh, good f uh, trees who bear good fruit and bad fruit trees who bear bad fruit. He's going to talk to us about building two houses, one on sand, the other on the rock. But look at verse 14, and you need to cogitate on this for the next week here. It says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And I've heard lots of sermons uh, about this. I mean, you know, one way that you know, I, I've heard people preach about this is they say, well, narrow is the way. You can't enter into the kingdom apart from Christ, right? That's true. That's a true statement. That's right. The way, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And, and Jesus may have that in mind here. But I think he has more than that in mind. I think he's talking in this section in particular, he's talking to people who are already in that kingdom, people who have already trusted Christ and they're, they're walking in, in faith. They're on this journey. They're living in light of the kingdom. And notice what Jesus says. The gate is narrow and the way is hard. The way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. It's just an interesting statement that Jesus makes because we, we preach grace and we should, right? Grace doesn't feel hard initially, right? Jesus does everything and we simply receive his grace. How hard can that be? We just receive a gift. Now, we know it's hard because unless the Holy Spirit opens your mind up to those realities, you will never do that and receive God's grace on your own. But I think this is talking about now that you've been put into this new life, this new kingdom, it's hard. It's narrow. There seems to be few who are walking on that road. And the wide gate, sort of living for yourself and sort of living the way the rest of the world, that's, that's easy. The gate is wide, it's easy, and, and it leads to destruction, but the, 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 the people who are on that road, there are many people. I 
And I, I want to close in this. Again, I think it should inform the way you pray, ask, seek, knock. But think about it. Think about what we're doing this morning, online and in person. The message of, of God's word. I, I, di- I suspect that at the places that you work, whether that's going to be in Zoom or on person tomorrow, they don't open up a Bible and start talking about the Sermon on the Mount in your staff meeting. Do they? I don't think so. I don't think in a lot of schools that, that, that where, 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 where a lot of you are going to be in school tomorrow are, are, are going to be pointing the way to Jesus and say, here's the way to life. Hollywood is, is not thinking about how can we make movies that will encourage the Sermon on the Mount. Let's encourage people's purity and let's encourage people to forgive and not be violent. No, that message is not being talked about. The whole culture, if you look at it, is, is, it's obvious. It's headlong going to destruction. It doesn't work. The, the, community, the, the, the communities that we live in are frayed and fractured. All kinds of bitternesses, impurities that all lead to destruction. And that's the path of least resistance. That's the easy way to go. You're going to find a lot of fellow travelers on that road. And it's easy. I think we have to be honest about living the Christian life. It's, yes, it's by grace, and so it's free, and you just receive it at one, at one level. But on the other hand, to allow God's grace to change you and to live according to the Sermon on the Mount is not going to be an easy thing to do. Not in this world. Not with you, you, you not, not, in, not in any war, not in any time in this world. It's hard. It's difficult, and there are fewer people that seem to find that way and attempt to do that. And it's interesting, even in the church, right, while we are on this road but through Christ, there are times for all of us when we're not living on the narrow road, right? Well, you've gotten off on the, on, on the, on the wide road, the easy road. And I think when you see Jesus is teaching all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, the difficulties, the challenges that he is talking to us about, it drives you back to ask, seek, and knock. And asking your Heavenly Father by the Holy Spirit to give you the good gifts, the strength to do and live in this narrow road that's hard and difficult and few seem to find it. I remember reading about this. You know, sometimes I, 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 I in preachers, we can be the worst, the worst at this. You know, we, we want to talk about the free grace of Christ and, and, and make it sound like it's easy. You just receive what Jesus has done. And there, it's true, God is, is a God of grace, right? We're saved by grace. We're going to be changed by grace. But I think sometimes we shortchange the fact that living the Christian life is not going to be easy in this world. It's just not. And I'm reminded of these, uh, these military recruiters came to a local high school and they were trying to um, get some students to come and, and, and see them after the, the assembly they were having at the high school and to see, uh, you know, to get some recruits, right, for the Navy and the Air Force and the, and the Army and the Marines. 
And all of the, the service branches, the Air Force, the Navy, and the Army, what, what they try to say to the students is, come join our organization. You get to travel the world. It's going to be great. We've got benefits out the wazoo for you. If you just serve for a couple of years, it's going to be great. You'll see the world. We'll teach you skills and everything. The Marine guy got up and said this. By the looks of you, I don't see anybody in this assembly who can cut it as a Marine. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not mentally tough enough. You're not physically tough enough. I don't think any of you could get through boot camp. I don't even think you should bother to come see me after the assembly. Well, it's interesting. There was one booth that was crowded, and all the others were empty. The Marines. <laughs> okay, you think, you think I'm not strong enough to do it? I'm, I'll be there. And I think for us as Christians, as believers, I think we need to be honest and honest about what Jesus says here. The way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And that's why gathering together virtually and in person is so crucial, because you're not going to hear this message anywhere else this week unless you open up a Bible and talk to about it with someone else or here on every Sunday morning. We need this because the rest of the culture is going 180 miles in the opposite direction. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, take this text, burn it into our hearts and minds for your glory and for your kingdom. What I'd like to do is lead us in a time of confession and then state a promise of pardon. So join me in a time of confession. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege we have when we know you as our personal Savior. That we have a loving, gracious, heavenly Father that wants to give us good things, particularly the Holy Spirit. But Lord, I ask for forgiveness, and I ask forgiveness for all of us, Lord. We don't always ask or seek or knock. We, we, we often have very little intensity and intentionality and very little persistence in reproaching you. Lord, forgive us for our lack of persistent, intentional prayer. Lord, we all have a tendency to, to ask you for what we want getting frustrated with you when you don't give us what we think we need in the timing that we have determined. And so, Lord, forgive us for asking wrongly. And, Lord, forgive us for, for not seeing that, that, that this great gift that, Jesus, that God gives us is the Holy Spirit. And forgive us for not asking the Spirit of God to help us live out your kingdom. Forgive us for the agenda praying that it's all about us and our daily bread only. Forgive us for not praying for your name to be hallowed and our part in that. Forgive us for praying, not praying about your will being done and our part in that. Forgive us for, for not asking you to extend your kingdom and for not seeking you and how we can do that. Lord, forgive us for not trusting your wise 
timing and your wise answers to our prayers. And Lord, help us when we are praying for something that does seem central to your kingdom and it seems to be delayed or it's not happening, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be able to live with the mystery that you are God and we are not. You are sovereign and we are not. And that we would be able to trust a God who sometimes confuses us and sometimes confounds us and sometimes uh, we don't fully get because only a God who does that is a true God. I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, for treating the Christian life as if, as if it's easy, Lord. And yes, it's by grace, but it's hard, it's difficult, it's challenging. And forgive us for the way we have been sort of nonchalant about praying for your kingdom to be fulfilled in us and through us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would build into our lives deep, persistent prayer focused on your kingdom agenda by your spirit. We understand that living out the Great Commission is impossible, but apart from you. And that our prayer life and our perspective would illustrate the realities of the impossible living out of the kingdom apart from your gracious empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Help us to this end, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.